The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, as you heard on Friday, Canadian beef is being embraced again in Taiwan. We'll have reaction to that market access restoration from the Canadian Cattle Association, the President, Nathan Finney. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its first crop pest update of the year. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlowski will join us on the program and tell us which insects are rearing their ugly heads, so to speak. Statistics Canada has released information related to farm income for 2021 and 2022. One of the major stories from the stats is how farm expenses have risen faster than farm income. We'll get some insight on that from well-known agricultural consultant Kevin Hirsch. Some parts of Saskatchewan will be nearly done seeding when the calendar moves into June on Thursday, while others will require a few more days. Rob Stone, who farms in the Davidson region, will tell us how things are going there. And there's relief for now as a deal to increase the U.S. debt ceiling was struck between U.S. President and Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We'll have reaction to that from the chief market analyst with Grain Fox, Renewals Glanville. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. Beef and Forage Report. As I told you on Friday, Canadian beef is being embraced again in Taiwan. Taiwan announced full market access for Canadian beef and that it's being restored in the coming weeks. President of the Canadian Cattle Association, Nathan Finney, is excited about the new development. You know, it's one of the, you know, Pacific markets is one of the markets that's growing and that we're paying a lot of attention to. And, and you know, since BSE 20 years ago, Taiwan has had some restrictions in place. And this is the last bit of the restrictions that had been in place. And the removal of them is a clear signal that we have a desired product and they're ready to go back to science-based trade. He says this decision is 20 years in the making. Yeah, and it was since BSE, which would have been on any offals and, and the over 30-month cattle. We did get our negligible risk status approved by the World Organization of Animal Health in 2021. So, you know, that then gave us our, our negligible risk status, our BSE-free. And obviously, having that is, is a key and important thing, but ultimately it doesn't open the doors automatically for, for restrictions that countries may have on us to be lifted. So in doing this on the heels of uh, Minister Ring over at the APEC meeting, it's a turning point, I think, and uh, hopefully other countries that may have similar restrictions follow suit. But Finney knows the full market access won't be immediate. Yeah, I mean, the news came down today to us as well, you know, of the of the opening of Taiwan and so we're fresh on this and I know our staff is digging into it to see if and when um, you know the, the actual restrictions are lifted but it's all momentum moving forward and it's positive so we're anticipating you know in the not so distant future you know we'll be able to to start moving our offals and, and over 30 month cattle in. However he says having full access to the Taiwan market is a big deal. Um, it's an important market 
the whole Indo-Pacific region is becoming more and more of a, an important market uh, for, for Canada. And, you know, diversification is going to be key to any growth in our industry where we export 50% of our, our product around the world. You know, having multiple areas that we can capture, you know, the, the, the solid price point and, and move portions of, of the animal to different markets is, is essential. So this is part of the big puzzle being able to do this and, uh, you know, all positives for the industry and we're very excited. Last year, Canada exported $13.9 million worth of beef to Taiwan. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Agri-Review portion of our program and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. PX94, Agri-Review. An entrepreneur from Yorkton says he collected more than 1.8 million kilograms of used grain bags over the past few years, helping his neighbors deal with their mounting plastic problem. Down in Leger's business, EcoGenX, transported the grain bags to a company in the United States that would recycle them. The company would turn the bags into various agricultural plastic products, including new grain bags. EcoGenX would then sell the recycled product in Saskatchewan. But he says the Saskatchewan government recently took him to court and won, fining him for not following the province's grain bag regulations. Court determined he did not operate a product stewardship program that was approved by the environment minister. He was fined $580 and must pay $10,604 to Clean Farms, a regulated nonprofit that also collects grain bags in the province. Ole Mel says it's cutting about 80 jobs as it reduces its hog production in Western Canada. The company says it's closing five sow units in Alberta and one sow unit in Saskatchewan in a move that will reduce its western sow herd to 40,000 from 57,000. It says the barns will be wound down over the next several months and remain closed until market conditions improve. The company says the closures will result in a net reduction of about 200,000 market hogs annually to its Red Deer slaughter plant from company-owned farms. However, it says the impact will not be felt until 2024 at the earliest and will be subject to independent hog supply availability. The company says it will work with the affected staff to fill any vacant positions within its western hog operations or find work outside the company. CN and CPKC Rail supply to combine 95% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 42 a decline from the previous week's 99% order fulfillment performance. On a combined basis, CN and CPKC have now supplied 94% or more of cars ordered in each of the last six weeks. The nominal decline in performance reflects a decline in performance for CN and CPKC. In supplying 92% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 42, CN's performance declined somewhat from the 98% posted in week 41 and remained above the 90% performance threshold for the 6th straight week and 10th time in the last 11 weeks. CPKC order fulfillment performance also declined, albeit more modestly than CN's, with the railway supplying 99% of cars ordered, down slightly from the 100% order fulfillment performance seen the previous week. 
CPKC also remains above the 90% threshold for the sixth straight week and ninth time in the last 10 weeks. A deal allowing the safe wartime export of grain and fertilizer from Ukrainian Black Sea ports has not yet resumed full operations, having come to a halt before Russia's decision recently to extend it. The pact called the Black Sea Grain Initiative, brokered by the United Nations and Turkey last year, with Russia and Ukraine to try to ease a global food crisis aggravated by Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, covers three ports, but no ships have been authorized to travel to Pivdeni port since April 29th. The United Nations and Turkey say they are closely working with the rest of the parties with the aim to resume full operations and lift all impediments that obstruct operations and limit the scope of the initiative. Recently, Ukraine accused Russia of effectively cutting Pitveni port out of the Black Sea deal as Russia complained that it had been unable to export ammonia via pipeline to Pivdeni under the agreement. Quebec Provincial Police say a two-year-old girl has died after falling into a grain mixer on a farm north of Montreal. They say the accident occurred Friday at a family farm about 85 kilometers from the city. Sergeant Adrienne Bilodeau says emergency services were called at about 3.30 p.m., after the child fell into an industrial mixer. The girl's parents also intervened quickly, but she had already died. The young victim's relatives were transported to hospital to be treated for shock. Police are investigating the death, as is the case when a child is involved, but authorities say there is no indication of negligence. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in 90 seconds' time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and 22 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its first crop pest update of the year. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlowski says flea beetles have already emerged in many parts of Manitoba. They've been out for a while, actually. The striped flea beetles normally start coming out late April, early May. Over the last uh, week or so, we've been noticing more of the crucifer flea beetles as well. In fact, uh, some areas, they're actually becoming more the dominant species, such as in the Carmen area here. Some of the fields, you can see a lot of the crucifer flea beetles now. So they're certainly out, and... It's just one of these things that growers have to watch for as their canola is coming up. I usually recommend you should be able to get about three weeks of control from your seed treatment, and that's from the day of seeding. After that, uh, if the plants are not yet at the at least three to four leaf stage, then you need to be scouting very carefully if you need to be doing foliar sprays or not. He notes that some grasshoppers have also been spotted. There are grasshoppers out, and our pest species should be just starting to hatch out now. We can usually somewhat predict their hatch based on something called degree day development, which um, a good way to um, relate it is the amount of heat units that it takes to get the grasshopper eggs turning into nymphs is roughly the same as it takes for the lilacs to start blooming. So 
just as a general rough guideline, usually once the lilacs are starting to, to flower, uh, the grasshoppers are starting to come out, the, the pest species of grasshoppers. So I noticed the lilacs starting to bloom over the weekend here. Grasshoppers should be starting to come out. Now, one thing, just as a side note, there are some non-pest species of grasshoppers, which there are a lot of, that will be out earlier than our pest species. And uh, the, over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing some of them um, are some of the areas that we've been scouting in the Carmen area. And there's some species that overwinter as partially grown grasshoppers, so they're already large nymphs. And uh, some of those are actually even adults now. They go through their development really early. So if you see anything that is an adult grasshopper right now or uh, makes noise when it flies, it's probably not a pest species. Dr. Gavlosky notes they've had reports of aster leafhoppers in some parts of southwestern Manitoba. So, yeah, we're, kind of, we're following up on that. So aster leafhopper, uh, tiny little leafhopper, they, they don't overwinter well here, but strong winds can sometimes blow them in. Why they're a nuisance is they vector a disease called aster yellows, which uh, can be quite a problem, especially in the horticulture industry. It uh, does cause canola plants to develop a little bit um, odd where you get these purplish looking bladder shaped pods that don't fill properly generally it's not an economical thing in canola but it's very visual uh, the symptoms that it causes and often causes agronomists and and canola growers to be concerned again it's usually not highly economical on canola but uh, very visible so we're just keeping an eye on the populations of the leafhoppers right now we've been collecting some and we're going to try to figure out what the percent infectivity is do they have the organism that will cause the astiellos he adds they're now putting out traps for diamondback moths we have a network of um, close to 100 traps out across the province and many agronomists and um, some of our Manitoba agriculture staff are participating in that trapping program. So far, we've had low, I'll say low counts, low to maybe moderate. Our highest count right now is 16 in the eastern region near Beausager. Counts like that really aren't alarming. It means we've had some move in, but not huge numbers. Again, the highest levels so far have been the eastern region, that Beausager, White Mouth area. We've been... But we're we're talking 15, 16. Once we start seeing counts where we're getting, say, 30, 40, 50 per week in some of these traps, then we need to start paying attention and scouting for the larva a bit more. But right now, low levels, but we'll keep you posted on what's happening with those. Dr. Gavlosky says cutworms are also on his radar this spring. I've had the odd cutworm photo sent to me for ID, but... So far on the cutworm front, levels haven't been too serious in most cases. So I'm hoping that we get off easier on the cutworms this year. We did go through some really bad years a few years ago. Things seem to have peaked about 2020, 2021. And last year, a little bit less with the the cutworm issues. And this year so far, it hasn't been too bad. So we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one. Dr. John Gavlosky is the provincial entomologist for Manitoba Agriculture, and he's based in Carmen. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures are closed today due to the U.S. Memorial Day long weekend. 
Returning to GX on Agriculture, Statistics Canada has released information related to farm income for 2021 and 2022. One of the major stories from the stats is how farm expenses have risen faster than farm income. However, combing through the numbers provides some other interesting insights. Well-known agricultural consultant Kevin Hirsch provides his take on the numbers. Well, it's a reams of information, so it, it, it takes a while to wade through the, the tables and different people will look at different aspects. I think one of the parts that will be reported widely is that you know, farm expenses have uh, risen faster than farm income in the past year. But I, I go through and, and look for some other things, and one of the things that really struck me was how we're pretty lucky here in Western Canada and much of the country where farming overall is a profitable venture. But if you if you look at Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, and even British Columbia, uh, those, those provinces really stand out for the large losses in their farm sectors for, for both 2021 and 2022. Uh, and in BC numbers are are really you know really a large negative both in their realized net income and their total net income. Total net income takes inventory change into account, and uh, that's not abnormal. If you look back in the numbers, that's often the case. So there's there's profitable farming operations in all three of those provinces, but overall their farm sector really struggles which is really different than the the three prairie provinces in ontario and quebec where where overall uh, farm profits have been very good he explains why bc and the atlantic provinces are struggling let's look at bc um, you've got supply managed industries you've got uh, dairy and poultry but you've got lots of wineries grapes fruits vegetables greenhouses and with a high cost structure, many of those industries struggle, especially the especially the smaller ones. So it's not it's not the pretty easy picture. Nova Scotia would be noted for a lot of uh, vegetables uh, and and a whole host of, of other uh, enterprises. But again, uh, Western Canada is not necessarily a bad place to be doing agriculture when you look at the, the profitability picture. But Hirsch notes farm debt levels in Saskatchewan aren't as high as you might think. Yeah, the farm debt numbers overall uh, are going up. Uh, no, no big surprise there. Uh, it went from roughly $130 billion nationally in 2021 to $139 billion in 2022. And you, you think of Saskatchewan as being the province that has the highest cash receipts often are, are among the top, uh, uh, the most arable acres, uh, the, the biggest uh, uh, profitability sometimes in, in, in a realized net farm income. But we're not the province with the highest debt. The biggest farm debt is actually Ontario uh, at $36 billion. Second in 2022 was Alberta at $30 billion, then Quebec at $27 billion, and then next was Saskatchewan at, at $20 billion. So our debt is not nearly as high in Saskatchewan as you might think, given the size of our agriculture sector. But, but of course, land is less expensive here, and, and that's, uh, that's part of uh, the picture. There's an interesting situation in Saskatchewan. We're the, we're the only jurisdiction where the debt to what they describe as federal government agencies, which would be Farm Credit Canada, exceeds the debt, 
to chartered banks. And it, and it isn't by a small margin either. In, in 2022, farmers in Saskatchewan owed $4.8 billion to chartered banks and owed $8.2 billion to Farm Credit Canada. Uh, and that's uh, very different than other provinces. just shows that uh, Saskatchewan very much, uh, for whatever reason, likes to do business with, uh, with FCC. Another thing about the farm debt picture is that uh, advanced payment program uh, numbers jumped substantially from 2021 to 2022, and that's probably not surprising. Went from 1.8 billion to 2.7 billion, and that really corresponds to the increase in the interest-free portion of cash advances. And uh, I think we should expect another bounce in that in 2023 as that interest-free portion again has been uh, adjusted upwards. He says the numbers also suggest that while there's rising farm debt levels, there's rising farm asset values as well. That's true. You look at the the debt levels in isolation and, and going up to a you know, those sorts of debts uh, from 130 billion nationally to 139 uh, makes it sound worrisome, but really the the value of farm assets is increasing even faster. Just taking the value of farmland and buildings, uh, that went from 585 billion in 2021 to 668 billion in 2022 so a, a large rise in in asset values really led by land values so that's rising even faster than debt levels Hirsch says the statistics show that farmers took full advantage of crop insurance in 2021 <laughs> crop insurance was by far the the biggest uh, business risk management payment uh, to to producers across the country and especially in in western canada 2021 was a was a major drought and and not surprising that that payments were large across the country uh, 2.95 billion paid in crop insurance 1.3 billion of that in saskatchewan almost an equal amount in alberta what is surprising is that 2022, the, the crops were, were better in most areas, uh, but crop insurance payments were even higher. And I believe that's because uh, some of the, or maybe much of the 2021 payments were deferred into 2022. So crop insurance in 2022 paid $3.7 billion nationally, $1.8 billion of that going to Alberta, $1.5 billion paid in Saskatchewan. And really, the, the crop insurance payments really dwarf the, the amount uh, contributed to farmers through Agri-Invest. That's uh, $265 million nationally uh, in 2022. And Agri-Stability, with many producers having dropped out of that program, it uh, paid $406 million nationally in 2022, with uh, about $87 million of that going to Saskatchewan. So really... Crop insurance payments dwarf the payments from other government programs. Kevin Hirsch is a well-known agricultural consultant who farms at Cabri in southwestern Saskatchewan. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up next. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. A. Commodities Update. 
Canola futures closed down across the board today. July canola closed at 683.70, down $6 per metric ton. November canola closed at 653.90, down $4.90. The rest of the grain and oilseed markets were closed today due to the U.S. Memorial Day holiday. Some parts of Saskatchewan will be nearly done seeding when the calendar moves into June on Thursday, while others will require a few more days. One area that has made good progress is Davidson, pretty much halfway between Regina and Saskatoon. Rob Stone farms in the Davidson region. I think most people are getting on the good side of it. Some people are finishing up and then there's few that'll have a bit to go yet depending how early they were able to get started and those sorts of things because we have to remember only five weeks ago they had the highways closed between Regina and Davidson due to snow so it was kind of a hurry up and go start to things when conditions got right beginning of May so ourselves we've got 1.6 percent left to complete and we got back going yesterday after some welcome precipitation. As for the amount of rain they received last week... We're figuring the kind of half-inch to inch, depending. Like, it just sort of dribbled a bit here and there in some storms, and and we kind of got one Wednesday afternoon and didn't get back going until last night. It just kind of stayed damp and didn't really dry out. So half-inch to an inch out of all that sort of stuff, I think, depending where you're standing, would be kind of a good rule of thumb for our farm anyways. Stone says topsoil moisture conditions in his area are pretty good. It seems good. My brain wants to say that it's, it should ought to be dry, but it seems good on the surface. We were seeding into pretty good conditions. I think we were a bit fortunate with the snow cover that we did have. A lot of it went in. I think the pulse double probably struggled a bit to retain that moisture because it ran off pretty quickly. But even still, it seems like the moisture is okay there. Pulses aren't as deep-rooted, so maybe there was some reserves from some other precipitation, although last year was, was incredibly dry and we didn't get any recharging rain last, rains last fall. So we'll be relying on our crop intelligence sensors a little bit as they kind of acclimate to their installation and just kind of see what they have to say because the story they're telling right now is, is not too bad. As for crop emergence so far... Emergence has been pretty rapid. We haven't had any May frosts to speak of. We had a couple of close moments and I think we probably touched. You could see some evidence on a few leaves and stuff like that, but emergence has been excellent, especially with these couple of rains to maybe make up for a few seeding errors that are always seem to happen across some hilltops or maybe not getting it in the ground enough where it's a little bit harder. So populations and targeted plant stands have been good in the agronomic reports that we've been receiving. And uh, I'd say, you know, coal emergence has been fairly rapid after seeding. Even the early seeded stuff is getting pretty big now for some guys that went a little bit earlier. So I think one of the better emergence years that I've seen in quite a few years. Stone says the canola is keeping ahead of the flea beetles. So far, so good. I had the sprayer deck when I was spraying some canola stubble in front of uh, some lentils that we were planting there was covered with flea beetles three weeks ago, and I have some concerns about that. But so far, so good here. Haven't seen a lot of evidence of flea beetles in the crop. I think in the volunteer canola, we certainly see some feeding. So these are pretty good growing conditions. So I'm hoping that the seed treatment will take care of the issues in short order and the plants will get big enough uh, if there aren't any flea beetle issues to deal with. Uh, once it gets bigger into that two-leaf stage, it's going to take a lot of flea beetles to create damage at that point. He hasn't seen any grasshoppers just yet. 
So far, so good. It's good news story. I'm sure some of your listeners will probably be shaking their fist at your radio, but so far, so good. We did have a lot of grasshoppers last year on the field margins and did spray some fields. So we are being very vigilant looking for them and maybe they don't have the growing degree days yet to be hatching in this, in this area, but uh, haven't seen a lot of lot to be concerned about there. Stone says the weeds are starting to come in now. They've been doing well as well. Got a decent burnoff, but there's a flush of kosher that kind of came behind. Uh, wild oats are starting to establish along with a lot of the broadleaves. So we will be commencing in-crop spraying in, a, in earnest here in the next few days on the earlier seeded wheat. We sprayed some wheat last week that wasn't burnt off. There was enough weeds that were coming, lots of volunteer canola and a few different things that we actually did do some spraying already. So that's on the, on the early side for us. So I'm hoping that we don't have to go back and touch things up cosmetically later on. But it looks like everything's kind of working on it. But uh, yeah, weed growth. It almost seems like after a couple of years of drought and dry conditions too that everything wants to grow. So I expect we'll have a few more weeds than normal and might have to use a couple dollars more worth of fancy spray versus the cheaper stuff this year. And he provided these final comments. You know, we're thankful for kind of what we'll call it a normal seeding season where, where we've had some breaks, had a little bit of moisture, and we haven't had wind for a few days. It was certainly windy earlier on, so... It's quite a reprieve to have that. Let's hope that through June when we're trying to do our end crop that that, uh, that that trend continues. And we'll hope that the fog trend that we saw from January, depending if you're 90 or 120 or 150 day from fog, that trend will get us some precipitation when we start really requiring it for vegetative turning to reproductive. That's Rob Stone, who farms in the Davidson area between Regina and Saskatoon. Rob is also a producer-elected director with the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after these messages. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. In week three of GX 94 Supper in the Field, you will recall we attended the Paul Orsack Farm near Binscarth, Manitoba. Paul invited a number of people who had recently moved to the area from war-torn Ukraine. One of them was Svetlana Platova, and I spoke to her after supper that night. So we came from the central part of Ukraine, from Vinitsa region. And how long ago did you come here? So we came in the mid of July, so we are here nearly, nearly 10 months. So what were you doing in Ukraine before you moved here? So I worked at school and uh, I was a teacher and my husband uh, ran a business, but we had to just change our life completely. And my husband is still in Ukraine and I'm here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And how many children do you have? I have two daughters. One daughter is here with me. She is grade 12 student. She is radiating from the school this year. And my older daughter is in uh, Ontario. So uh, did you have trouble getting out of Ukraine, I guess, at the time that you left the, the country? When the war started, we decided just to leave the country maybe in 10 days. And we stayed in Poland for five months. And uh, when we got our visas, we decided just to move to Canada. And we are lucky because we met wonderful people here and they helped us a lot. They met us, they helped us just with everything. They solved 99% of our problems. They are very nice. I was going to say, I suppose coming here to this area, there's there's a fairly large Ukrainian uh, ethnic population from many years ago, but it's probably made the transition easier for you? It, it was okay and uh, it was um, surprising just to, to 
to get to know that a lot of uh, people have Ukrainian roots and they can speak Ukrainian and uh, just to taste traditional Ukrainian dishes in Canada like pierogies. <laughs> We had pierogies tonight. Did they did they live up yeah. to your expectations? Oh, okay. thank you. It was very nice just to have pierogies. <laughs> and so, do you have you still have some family besides your husband back in Ukraine right uh, now, though? My husband and my parents are still in Ukraine. Yeah, my my brother and his family and my husband's nephew. He's nearly 18, so he's here with me too. And uh, so, other than that, it sounds like uh, everyone you've you've been hired on by the school division here. Is that right to help out? Yeah. Okay. So now I work as a teacher here in, in school, yeah. and we have a lot of Ukrainian uh, pupils, so I just have to help them. Well, welcome to Canada, welcome to Manitoba and to the area, and, and we're glad to have you. And hopefully someday you can at least go back to visit if you don't go back to live there again. Yeah, yeah. thank you. We, we appreciate like everything people do for us. They, they help us a lot. That's Vetlana Platovo, who was one of many Ukrainian guests at GX94 Supper in the Field back on May 17th at the Paul Orsak Farm near Binskarth, Manitoba. It's time now to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Moosum, and Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly cloudy with a 30% chance of isolated showers. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20 and a high of 24 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of 12. Tomorrow, partly sunny. Winds north-northeast at 10 to 20, a high of 26, an overnight low of 13. For Wednesday, partly sunny. Winds east-southeast at 15 to 25, a high of 28. For Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 26. And Friday, partly sunny with a 70% chance of afternoon showers, a high of 26 again. In the Paw, it's 19 degrees, Swan River 23, Dauphin 26, Brandon 24, Show Lake Russell and Roblin 22. Regina and Winyard Wadena Kelvington are at 22 degrees, Saskatoon 24, Hudson Bay Indian Head 23, Broadview Mooseman 21. The Yorkton Melville region has a cloudy sky, a southeast wind at 4 kilometers an hour, 57% is the relative humidity, the temperature is 22 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner.